The following message, entitled, The Man Who Had It All, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 3rd of July, 2016. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. This is our youth camp Sunday, so about 75 of our teens just got back a week ago from our annual youth camp. And what we started doing, we started a tradition of holding a youth camp Sunday the week after, just a time to close out camp, uh, learn about just what, how God's been working in our teens, time to celebrate our teens, and just as a church, come around them, recognize them, pray for them, and just, uh, just an encouragement to exhort them on just as they're going through this point in life. So anyway, that's what's going on here this morning. Uh, if you've seen the t-shirts, you can see our theme this year for youth camp was satisfied. So we spent the whole week talking about how we can only find satisfaction in God alone. And we actually have one of our teens this morning is going to share a testimony of just how God spoke to him, worked uh, in his life through camp. So Edward, if you wouldn't mind coming up to the front here. And uh, while Edward's coming up, ushers, if you want to come forward, just receive. Yeah, come on up, Edward. Uh, ushers, you can go ahead, come on up to receive this morning's offering, and you can just get started as you arrive up here. So here you go, Edward. All right. Hi, everyone. Wow. Okay. All right, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little, well, a lot of nervous. But um, I'm not normally the type of person to get up in front of crowds and speak. So um, you're going to have to bear with me here. But um, I just after going to youth camp, I felt the need to share some of my experiences. And um, I'm not going to lie, I did not want to go to youth camp. And I wasn't planning on going. But um, I'm so glad I did. With, um, within the first hour of being there, I felt welcome and at home. The first whole day that we were there, I remember going into the, the chapel that morning to worship, looking around at all the people worshiping and praising the Lord. I felt guilty, and I felt like I didn't belong. I was one of those kids who went to church because everyone else did. My heart wasn't in it. Um, I felt out of place at youth camp because looking around, it looked like all these people had it together. But as people got up and was sharing their t um, testimonies, I was shocked to see um, how well I could relate to them and seeing how far some of them have come and being where they are now. It made me realize that there's still hope for me. And I can, um, and I can remember one person getting up and sharing about, um, well, most people sin. They think that God is glaring down upon them, but he's really not. He's standing there with his arms wide open, waiting to receive you, ready to help you, and wanting you back. And that was a big eye-opener for me. It showed me that no matter how many times I mess up as a person, and no matter how many times I sin, he's there for me, loving me. And at this point in my life, I had never read my Bible or actually paid attention in church. So that night, after getting home and unpacking from youth camp, I read my Bible for the first time. I'm so lucky to finally put my heart into praising the Lord. Finally, things are starting to click for me. I am so thankful that God has opened my eyes and died on the cross to show me how much he loves me. And I've learned that if you put your trust in God, anything is possible. With God, nothing is impossible. And if you, don't, and if you do put your trust in God, in God you can... Um, you can't go over the fence and keep one foot close. You have to take the full leap, trusting and knowing that he will be there to protect you no matter what. 
As most of you know, um, just probably from the video, youth camp takes a lot of work and a lot of planning, and there are a lot of parents and uh, young adults who make youth camp possible. But there is one individual who, who administrated the whole camp uh, from start to finish, which is Ron Eshelman, who is in the sound booth right now. So can we give him a round of applause? What, what I love about Ron is his heart behind it. His, his heart is that the kids, the teens, would en encounter the Lord every year. And so just to see him serving behind the scenes, really months and months in advance, we really appreciate you, Ron, and all that you've done. Well, as you know, I think you've heard, the theme at youth camp was, was satisfied. In the first day, we heard about a man who looked for satisfaction in things that were not Jesus. And and somehow, Mark Altrogi arranged for this man to be here this morning. Now, this man is a little unusual. So rather than give him a round of applause, if you get real quiet, it's a bit eccentric. You'll see what I mean in a moment. So if he is in the building, Mr. Howard Hughes, please come to the stage. He prefers quiet, too. Mr. Hughes? Thanks for coming today. He really doesn't like people too much either. <laughs> I'll, I'll set the microphone on the platform for you, okay? Well, I'm not exactly happy to be here, but I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I once, if you don't know, I once was famous and pretty darn good-looking when I was young. Yeah, and I was not only good-looking, I was incredibly rich. I inherited my family fortune and became a millionaire at age 18. How'd you like to do that? Yeah, and at the end of my life, I was estimated to have 11.4 billion dollars. Anybody in here got that much? No, I didn't think so. Oh, you think you got that much? You think you're a funny, kid? I'll scratch your face with these fingernails. I was a business tycoon. I was six foot four. I made famous movies, and I dated Hollywood stars. I was a pilot, and I owned airplanes and even set speed records in planes. I bought a big chunk. I, I had a whole chunk of the city of Las Vegas. I was so rich, I even bought a TV station to play movies all night just so I could watch movies when I couldn't sleep. And I owned an entire airline company, maybe you've heard of it, called TWA, Trans World Airlines. Yeah, I had it all. Can you show that picture of me a little? Yeah, there. Pretty good-looking guy, aren't I? Yeah. Only problem is, later in life, I became a recluse. Now, if you don't know what that means, it means I did not want to be around people. I lived all by myself. I had little to do with other people, and something else happened to me. I became terrified of germs. So I wore Kleenex boxes on my feet. You could... See that? Still a little bit scared of them. 
And I had a safe zone around me of four feet. No one could get within four feet of me because I didn't want to get their germs. I didn't cut my hair or shave, in case you didn't notice. Once I lived for five months, five months in a room, and I ate only Hershey bars, pecans, and milk. That's it. Five months. Hershey bars, pecans, and milk. I became obsessed with peas. I became obsessed with peas. I figured, well, somebody's got to do it. And I would line them up with a special fork I had, a special pea fork, which I would line them up by size. Bet you couldn't do that. Toward the end of my life, I only cut my fingernails and toenails just once a year. Here's, here's a picture of me at the end. I'm a pretty good-looking guy. I just took that last night. <laughs> well, when they found me dead, I had long, dirty hair, extremely long toenails, and I only weighed 90 pounds. And I had no children or family to leave my riches to. Why do I tell you this? Well, you listen to your preacher this morning. You listen to him because I don't want you to wind up like me. All right. See you later. Now, if this is your first Sunday, uh, <laughs> please come back next Sunday. If you choose not to, we, we get it. There's a lot of good churches in town, and maybe you want to visit one of those. Well, hopefully, Mr. Altrogi will come back this morning. I heard he went for a cup of coffee. So what we like to do at youth camp, we like to chant, we like to yell. So if this side of the room could do Mr. and this side do Altrogi until he comes out, see if he can hear us somewhere in the building. So Mr. Altrogi. Mr. Altrogi. Louder. For some reason, he's not wearing glasses. Can we give him a round of applause as he comes back up? Hey, everybody. For some reason, I have tape on my fingers. Ah, all right. There's uh taping some things together back there, doing some repairs, serving as usual. Uh, all right. Good morning, everybody. You know, I, when I was back there, this strange guy walked by me. Just weird. Wonder how our security let him in. Well, this morning I'm going to talk about a man who had it all. That that was Howard Hughes was. Uh, could have said he was a man who had it all, but I want to talk about another man who had it all, and that's Solomon. That was actually my granddaughter. 
What happened to Bubba? <laughs> so I want to talk about Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. God blessed Solomon with wisdom and wealth like no one else. He wrote the book of Proverbs, and he's believed to be the author of a book called Ecclesiastes. And we looked at some of this stuff at youth camp. And I'm going to hit a little bit of what we had at youth camp and, and uh, mention a few other things I didn't say at youth camp. So, but the big lesson we learned from Solomon is that Jesus Christ alone can satisfy us. And apart from Jesus, life is meaningless. So let's pray. Jesus, we have been singing this morning that you alone satisfy. And I just pray that you would satisfy us, Lord. Satisfy us with your word, your inspired word, Lord Jesus. Satisfy us with your spirit, we pray. Speak to us, teach us and stir us and give us faith to believe this word and to pursue you and to be satisfied in you, Jesus. Please help me, Lord. And I just thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, here's how Solomon begins the book of Ecclesiastes. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Vanity means meaningless. So the NIV puts it meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. In other words, what's the point of anything? Nothing satisfies. Nothing apart from Jesus. Everything we do apart from Jesus Christ if we do it in this life, it's pointless and empty and meaningless. It would be like, I mentioned at youth camp, it'd be like working for years, saving all your money to buy this cool, red, shiny car that you saw. And you, you sacrifice and you work and you work and you get so tired, but you keep saying, when I get this car, it'll be worth it. And then finally, you have enough to buy the car and you go buy it. And you open the door and you see that on the inside it's all black and burned out. That's, that's like getting everything in this world, but if you don't have the Lord, it's all black and burned out. And Solomon had it all, but he went on a search. He went on a search to find out what's the point of life. And so he said in chapter 1, I the preacher have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Now, when Solomon became king as a young man, he didn't know how he was going to lead this great people of Israel. And so God one night appeared to him and told him, ask for anything you want. And so Solomon said, please give me wisdom to know how to lead this people of yours. And so God said, because you didn't ask for riches or power, I'm going to give you wisdom like no one else, and I'm also going to bless you with riches and honor like no one else ever had before. And so Solomon had it all. But he still wanted to go on this search to understand life. What's the point? What will truly satisfy? And here's what he found out. Without God, everything is meaningless. 
He says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What a good picture. Striving after wind. Can you imagine if you met somebody and you saw him doing this and you saw him doing these strange motions and acting like he's sticking something in his pocket and you said, what are you doing? He said, I am catching wind. I am grabbing wind and I am saving it in my pocket and someday I'm going to pull this wind out and I'm going to have it and it's going to be great. It's going to probably blow a nice breeze through my apartment. You'd say, you need help, buddy. <laughs> You're striving after wind. That's silly. That's pointless. Well, that's what Solomon said. He found out that pleasure apart from God doesn't satisfy. And so he says, I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. And I said, of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? Think of Howard Hughes at the end of his life, all the pleasures he had, all that he enjoyed, racing airplanes, all that he had, the wealth, all that he had owning big chunk of Las Vegas. He would have probably said, it's mad. What is the use of it? Pleasure doesn't satisfy. Possessions and success don't satisfy apart from the Lord. He says, Solomon said, I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem." And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. I could have anything I wanted. Reminds me of a, a scene I saw once, a, a film of Michael Jackson walking through this store with, he had his assistants with him, and Michael Jackson was walking through this fancy store, and he said, I want that. Give me that. And his assistant would run and just get whatever he wanted because he was so wealthy. Well, that's Solomon. Anything I wanted, give me that. I want a bass guitar like that. I'll take that. Anything. But he found out. He says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So pleasure didn't satisfy. Possessions and success don't satisfy. Wealth doesn't satisfy. He said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, 
Jesus, the one who truly had it all, emptied himself, didn't cling to it, emptied himself of all that to save us. Philippians 2, 6-8, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is God, the creator of all things. All things were made through him and for him, the Bible says. The angels of heaven obey his every command. There is not one thing that Jesus lacked. From all eternity, he was filled with infinite joy and enjoyed perfect perfect, infinite, joyful fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. He did not need to save us to make Himself happy. He was not, it wasn't like there was something missing in His life. He was infinitely happy. Jesus had it all, but He gave it all up for us. to pay for our sins so that we could have true riches and joy in Him. Jesus did all that for you and me. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus became poor. I, I, his poverty was an infinite come down. I mean, we, we might make sacrifices, but we are not making an infinite sacrifice. Jesus was infinitely great, infinitely glorious. And so when He humbled Himself and took on flesh and became a human being, it was an infinite come down. The Creator of the universe as a baby was laid in a horse trough. Couldn't even feed Himself. Couldn't dress Himself. His mother had to wrap Him in cloths. He was helpless, totally dependent on his parents. Did that for us, to make us rich so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. If we have Jesus, we truly have it all. If we wholeheartedly believe in Jesus Christ, if we wholeheartedly believe what the Bible says about Him and what He did, then we have eternal life. And the Bible says that God makes us joint heirs with Christ. We get to share in Jesus' rewards and glory. And I 
the whole time I was at youth camp, many times, it's our 20th anniversary, I thought of Steve Murphy, <laughs> our pastor, who started youth camp, and who the Lord took home a number of years ago. But I remember Steve writing a note before he went to heaven saying, I can't wait for graduation day. <laughs> Even though he didn't want to leave his family. And Steve understood that if we have Jesus, we have everything. There was a famous preacher named Charles Spurgeon who once said, I have heard of some good old woman in a cottage who had nothing but a piece of bread and a little water. Lifting up her hands, she said as a blessing, What? All this and Christ too? She was so satisfied in Jesus that she considered herself blessed with a crust of bread and some water. All this in Christ too? I've heard it put another way. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you have Jesus, you have everything. But I want to warn you, and I warned you guys at youth camp, and you may be thinking, oh, you already told us this. Well, it's going to be like my dad. I'm going to tell you again. <laughs> and I'll keep telling you as long as I have opportunities. The world and Satan and sometimes our own fallen nature will tell us two lies. There are two big lies. They'll tell us many more lies, but there are two big lies they tell us. First lie is this. Lie number one is sin will satisfy you. Sin will satisfy you. That's what he said to Eve in, in Genesis 3. He says, but God did say, Eve says, God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Here's what, the, here's what Satan said. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be satisfied if you sin. If you sin, you're going to have the joy of being God. Lie number one. Sin will satisfy that's, that's what he says nowadays. And then Eve made a mistake. She looked at the fruit. She, she started looking at it, and it looked like it would satisfy. And the Bible says it looked good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. Man, what's, what's wrong with that? What's bad about that? Satisfy food, wisdom? Well, she didn't look ahead. She didn't think about what God said. On the day you eat of it, you will die. She could never have imagined. Can you imagine Adam and Eve? Could you even, could they have even imagined all the wars and sickness and pain and destruction that they would bring into the world by eating that fruit? 
They could not have imagined it. But Satan got them to believe the lie. If you sin, you will be satisfied. I remember I told, I told you guys at youth camp about the first time I smoked marijuana as a teenager, as a college student. Actually, this friend of mine who was in a band, rock band with me said, hey, Mark, you want to smoke some of this tonight? And I said, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of nervous. I don't think I should do that. It's against the law and it's dangerous. He said, oh, nothing's going to happen. It's fun. And you know what? It was kind of fun at first. And that's the way sin is. We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it if it didn't seem like fun. And it, it's, it does have, it is fun at first, but then it brings destruction later. And that sin that I committed led to further sins and led to further sins in my life. And I didn't look ahead. I didn't see that I didn't see the destruction and the sins that it was going to lead me into. All I saw was that day, that night, and I listened to the lie of the enemy, sin will satisfy you. And you're going to get that. You're going to get it. It's not going to announce itself like this. It's going to announce itself like this. Hey, Man, do this. Let's do this tonight. This is going to be fun. It doesn't say, let's commit this terrible sin tonight that's going to have consequences in your life. No, it's not going to do it that way. Satan doesn't do that. He says, look at this fruit. Look how good it looks. You know, sin always looks good at first. Like I said, we wouldn't do it if we didn't think it would satisfy us. So that's the first lie. The second lie that this world tells us and Satan in our own fallen nature that is still with us, even though it's not the dominant nature in our life, if we believe in Jesus, but it's still there, it will still tell us lies from time to time. The second lie is the world will satisfy you. Now, this is different than the first lie. The first lie is sin will satisfy you. It might be more obvious. The second lie is that the world, the good things in the world, the pleasures of the world will satisfy you. And God gives us many gifts, many blessings, many good things. He's a generous God. And, and it's not always sinful things. There can be really wonderful things that God gives us. But if we think the wonderful things in this world will satisfy us without Jesus or apart from Jesus, that's a lie. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to have good things or blessings, but we need Jesus first and foremost in our lives. See, the world says, if you just get this new game system, you'll be happy. You know, have you ever thought about how we get something that's really exciting, and then after a while, it's just not that great anymore? We think, oh, if I only had this, I'd be happy. If I only had could get my license and drive, then I'll be happy. And then if I can only get a job and make a lot of money and buy a car, then I'll be happy. Oh, now I got this, but I, I need a girlfriend. Oh, if I only had a girlfriend, then I'd be happy. Or if I only had a boyfriend, then I'd be happy. And then if I only get married, I'll be happy. And then if we can only get a house, we'll be happy. It just keeps going on and on and on. And apart from Jesus, any good blessing in this world is not going to satisfy us. And here's what God said in Jeremiah chapter 2. 
Verse 13, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern is a well. So God says, Israel, my people, for they forsook me, the source of life, the fountain of living waters. That was their first sin. They stopped believing that God could satisfy their deepest desires and needs. And the second sin was they tried to find their satisfaction in other things. They dug their own wells, thinking that would satisfy their thirst. And God says, those wells are broken. They can't hold water. What a pointless thing you're doing. And that's what it's like. The world is constantly saying this will satisfy We watched a couple commercials at youth camp. One was for bacon. Change your life with bacon. Wouldn't it be great if you could just, if it was that easy to change your life? <laughs> the other one was Coca-Cola commercial. And their current slogan is open happiness. Man, if you have a bad day at school, get a Coke. Open some happiness for yourself. See, the world is constantly saying, this is what you need to be happy. Can you imagine how happy you'd be if you had bacon and a Coke? Oh. I might have to do that this afternoon. So, so what should we do? I, I've been telling you what not to do. I've been telling you what not to do. I want to just tell you for a couple of minutes what to do. And uh, it's just so, so exciting for the testimony this morning. Where, where, where you said that you opened up your Bible and read it for the first time. That's the first thing to do. That's the first way to get to know Jesus is when we believe in Jesus and call upon Him, then we want to get to know Him. We want to spend time with Him. We want to fellowship with Jesus. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says to Christians, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's Revelation 3.20. And it's to Christians. Jesus is saying, I want a fellowship with you as if we were having a meal together. Can you imagine saying, hey, I want to be good friends with so-and-so, but I'm never going to talk to him. I'm never going to spend any time with him. I'm never going I'm, I'm to have anything to do with him. Would you really be their friend? So if we say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but we never spend any time with Him, Jesus may even be knocking on some of your hearts today. I'm knocking on the door. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and have fellowship and eat with Him and He with me. So the first way we have fellowship with Jesus, the first way we spend time with Him is in His Word. You know, the Bible is... God speaking to us. The Bible is God, Jesus, revealing Himself to us, encouraging us, telling us, I love you, telling us, I'm your strength. You know, it's not like a, an instruction manual. It's not like a boring manual when you, get, when you buy something new and you have to put it together. Oh, man, I hate those things. 
You know, you you buy a you buy a, a bicycle or something that's not put together, and you got this manual, and it's got pictures of all these parts, and you just have no idea. And we could think the Bible's like that. It's some boring book. It's telling me how to live, all this. No, think of the Bible as spending time with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, and getting, he'll speak to you and reveal himself and say, here's what I'm like. Here's what I want to do for you. Here's what I have done for you. Here's how much I love you. So first, read the Bible. I would encourage you to do it as often as you can. Make it a regular habit. Even if it's just a couple of minutes in the morning every day, make it a daily thing. If, there's not, if there was only one habit in my entire life that I'm so glad God helped me do, it is reading the Bible in the morning, first thing when I get up. And spending a little bit of time trying to memorize Scripture on 3 by 5 cards. A few minutes of that, a few minutes of reading the Bible. Those are the best things that I've ever done. It is God has changed my life through His Word. Then secondly, fellowship with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus through prayer. Jesus wants you to ask Him for what you need. He wants you to tell Him how you're doing. Jesus, Jesus is waiting for you to say, Jesus, I'm really I'm struggling here. I need your help. Jesus, please give me strength. Please help me to make it through this today. Please help me to serve. I don't feel like serving my dad and mom today. Please help me. I want you to know I talk to Jesus like that all day long. I'm constantly saying, Jesus, help me to be with Joe today. I just need your help. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I really do pray that. I pray that way all day long. I just say, Jesus, please give me strength for this. Please, Jesus, please give me, help me to do this. Jesus, please keep me from temptation here. Jesus, help me to be pure here. All day long, I'm talking to Jesus. I spend some time with him, usually after reading the Bible, just a, a few minutes praying and asking and praying for my family and praying for people. And, and uh, that's how we get to know Jesus. We listen to him in his word. We talk to him through prayer. Here's another thing that has changed my life. It's part of prayer, actually. Thank Jesus for as much as you can, as often as you can. Thank Jesus. I have, I have a little moleskin journal. If you don't know what that is, it's a little black journal. It's like blank pages, lined pages. After I spend a little time in Jesus, with Jesus in his word, I, the first thing I do for my prayer time is I write, I try to write, if I can, not every day, but most days, one page of things I'm thankful for. I say, dear Jesus, thank you for the sunshine this morning. Dear Jesus, thank you for keeping me safe during the night. And they're nothing profound. Thank you for what you let me do yesterday. Thank you that I got to dress up like Howard Hughes. <laughs> Speak to the kids. But as... I remember, I remember one thing that I saw over at Ian and Larissa Murphy's house once. They had a bulletin board, and it was covered with 3M sticker notes, those little yellow squares of paper. And on each one, they would write something they were thankful for. And it was something, it might have been something simple. Thank you for my friends. 
It was just something very simple. And, and, and every day, or as often as they thought of something, I don't remember how they did it, but the, they would just write on a three and stick them note and stick it up on this bulletin board. I just thought, that is so cool. And, and if you cultivate thankfulness, you're going to have joy in your life. That's why I'm telling you all this. I want you guys to have the most joyful life you can. Next thing, become Jesus' disciple. Make up your mind. I'm gonna, I want to obey Jesus. I want to obey every word is of his, every command in the Bible that he gives me. I want to follow Jesus as a disciple all the days of my life. I want to follow him till the end wholeheartedly. When we obey Jesus, and we need his help to do it, but when we obey him, he fills us with joy. And then, and then the next thing is instead of trying to get as much out of the world as you can, give away as much as you can. This is another thing. That I can't tell you how much joy it will give. Start to give money to the poor. Start to give money to the Lord. And you may say, I don't have any money. I hardly have any. Give a quarter. Give any little seed you can. Jesus talked about it as sowing seeds. Give to anyone who has need that you're aware of that you can give to. Give to the church. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together. Will men pour into your lap? And I've, I've found that to be true. The more we give, God blesses us. And then finally, I'm going to give you one more scripture. We'll wrap it up. Invest in the next life, not in this life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Invest in the next life. And you guys, I'm so excited to, to, to get to share with you because you are young. I, I have prayed with elderly people on their deathbed to receive Jesus. And I just think, and I was, I was about 23, 24 when God saved me. And I thanked him, Lord, thank you for saving me when I was young. So I've had, at least had these years to serve you. You are so blessed to know Jesus at your age. Because you can be sowing, you can be sending ahead, you can be sending treasures to heaven even now. So I just encourage you to invest in this in the next life, not in this. So Solomon, a man who had it all, essentially teaches us in his valuable book. And Ecclesiastes is a valuable book. It's inspired by God, just like the rest of the books of the Bible. That apart from Jesus, this whole world is meaningless. And Jesus, the one who truly had it all, gave it all up to suffer and die in our place so that in him we can be rich and he's just waiting to satisfy us and fill us with joy as we cultivate our relationship with him. So let's pray. Let's stand and let's pray.
Oh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for these young men and women. I'm, I'm just thankful for them. I thank you that you have saved them. I thank you for their hearts to follow you, Jesus. Thank you for the great work you did at youth camp. Thank you for the way they serve in the church. Lord, what a blessing to be their pastor. Thank you for them. Thank you for everyone who served at youth camp, every adult, every person who served in any way, Lord. And we just pray that you would do this in our lives, Jesus. Please, every day, remind us that you are our joy. You are our fountain of joy. You are our satisfaction. We ask this in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen.